Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Numbers chapter 16 this morning is where we will be. Numbers chapter 16. Altars that alter. Last week we talked about an altar of faith with Abraham and Isaac there on the top of the mountain that day. Today we are going to look at an altar of intercession. It's not unusual that God sometimes steers conversations within the morning uh, lead up to the service. And it's kind of interesting the way that he always does that. So Numbers chapter 16 this morning, verse number 46 will be our text, but we will be looking at a vast majority of this chapter kind of in outline form, if you will. We're not going to take time to read all of it. Verse number 46 the Bible says, And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, and put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly unto the congregation, and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord, the plague is begun. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity just to be in your house, to open your word, to begin to study it. We ask you, Father, that this time would be beneficial to your children. Help us, we pray, to be a blessing to others and teach us your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I began the outlining process of all of these messages, looking at the topic, I gave preacher a list of all of them this morning. And there are approximately 13 different lessons that are a possibility. And I've chosen six that I believe the Lord could use in our lives. And as I did that, uh, I somewhat assigned each of them a title, and the title for this one actually got changed along the way. Originally, I had entitled this one "The Altar of," uh, excuse me, "The Altar of Atonement." But I realized that atonement is something that actually God has to do. Intercession is something that we can do. It is a part of our Christian life, or should be a part of our Christian life. And in order to really get an idea of how this event came to pass, we've got to back up and begin to look at the beginning of the chapter. So we're going to read the first three verses of the chapter, and then we will go outline form from there. So verse number one, the Bible says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before, Mos before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. Verse number 3 says, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. And wherefore then lift ye up yourselves, where, excuse me, wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? Now as we read this, the reason I wanted to read these three verses in, in particular is because it gives us the cast of characters, if you will. It tells us who's involved in this event. We know Moses and Aaron are involved in it, but until we read verses one through three, we really didn't see who all was involved. We've got Korah, we've got two others, Dathan and Abiram, and then a fourth that is mentioned, and interestingly enough, it's the only time this man is mentioned, his name is On. 
Now, there's some thoughts regarding him, and we'll get to them in a little bit, maybe. We'll see what happens here. As I, I thought about all of the events, and I started reading the chapter and trying to get an idea in my mind of how all of this could have taken place, it became important for me to understand where each of the tribes of Israel encamped around the tabernacle. It was not haphazard in any way. God always has a plan, and this will tie in as we go. But we see on the north side, there are three tribes that are listed on the east, south, and west. On each of those, there are three tribes that are listed for them. If you want them at the end of the service, I'd be happy to provide them to you. But on the south side of the camp, there are two things that take place. We find the children of Levi are also divided up among the four quadrants. And we see Kohath, the grandfather, if you will, of Korah here. We see him listed as being on the south side of the tabernacle. Well, he's not the only one that's on the south side of the tabernacle. So is the tribe of Reuben. And so I, I was trying to picture in my mind how all of what takes place could happen. These guys were pretty close to each other. And unfortunately, we've got a bad habit sometimes of corrupting our neighbors. And that's kind of what we see take place right here. I'm not sure who instigated all of this, but my thought that God, since God lists Korah first, my guess is he's the one that started all this mess. If you are familiar with Scripture, this event may sound somewhat familiar. And there was a similar event, although not to the same extent as we read in this chapter, that took place some 20 years prior to this. Uh, according to some of the commentaries and some of the timelines that I've referenced in order to be able to come up with this, the first event took place in 1445 B.C., and this event, Korah, is 1426 B.C., so approximately 20 years. And the other event is an event regarding Nadab and Abihu, Nadab and Abihu being the sons of, of uh, Aaron. They were the first two, basically, that would have originally been the original priesthood, but because of their sin, God destroyed them. And you would think that people would learn from those lessons. Unfortunately, that does not always happen. There's a lot of history involved in this, and so I ask you to please be patient with us as we get to the main portion of this. And as I thought about this, I, I wondered, why did God deal with this situation so much differently than he did with Nadab and Abihu? With Nadab and Abihu, it was basically two men that chose to overstep their bounds. Maybe they were a little bit zealous and they thought they were doing a good thing, but they had definitely gone against the commandment of God. When we get to Korah and his crew... We're not looking at just some men that made poor choices. We are looking at a full-blown rebellion. We are looking at a coup attempt is what it basically is. And as we see the cast of characters, we see these four main men, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and on. But in addition to them, they managed to recruit to themselves 250 important men throughout the tribes of Israel. These 250 men are never named. Doesn't matter who they are. God takes care of it in the end. But why does God react so differently in this particular instance? And I believe it's because these men had chosen to try to throw down everything that God was doing. Now, for us this morning, 
we know a lot of people in our lives to bring this to the idea of intercession. We know a lot of people in our lives that basically stand opposed to everything that God is doing. We know a lot of people that are against us. And the problem is we know or we should know what lies ahead for these people. As we go down through this chapter, we get down in verse number four, we see that Moses' reaction, you, you can read the verses yourself. I, this is more of an outline type thing for you. In verse number four, Moses falls on his face and it's Moses alone that begins to make intercession. These men have made choices that he knows is not good. Maybe in Moses' mind, he remembers Nadab and Abihu. If you go back and you read in the book of Leviticus chapter 9 and 10, that's where the majority of all of that takes place for Nadab and Abihu. When you get down to chapter 10, verse number 6, we see Moses instruct the children of Israel to all bow down and begin to pray for them. But there is no, no moment where Moses himself is affected like we see in this passage of Scripture. Why the change? Moses had learned something. He'd seen something about God. And he'd come to the place where he realized that if he did not intercede, and this kind of ties into the conversation with Miss Nancy, that, you know, if we don't, who will? If we don't begin to pray for the people that are in our life, nobody else is going to. We've got loved ones that we want to see saved. If you don't pray for them, who will? Your lost friends aren't going to. Your lost family members aren't going to. It is your job. It is your duty. It is your task that God has given to you. But what brings that about in us? In my opinion, and I, I believe it is my opinion only, I don't know if there's anything in Scripture that really backs it up, but I believe that it is the simple fact that you and I, as children of God, we understand more of what God is capable of than anybody else. And I believe that's why Moses, in verse number four, is the only one to fall on his face. He is the first one to recognize what God can do. God has done it before. God destroyed two men. We don't read that their families were destroyed, just them. But he has seen what God is capable of. And he doesn't want that for the children of Israel. Until you and I come to a place where we realize and recognize what God is capable of, we'll never pray for the people that we love the way that we should. Intercession is a necessary part of what God has put us here to do. We are, we are the only ones that really care. There is a passage of Scripture, and it's referenced later in my notes, but I think it's more appropriate right now. There's a reference to a daysman. A daysman, in essence, is a mediator, somebody that stands between an arbiter, somebody that is standing between two parties that are at odds, and he is there to make peace between them. Does that sound like anybody that we recognize from Scripture? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the daysman. The New Testament refers to him as the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And as we, we look at this, God has put us here to act on his behalf. We are to be a mediator between our lost family and Jesus Christ. 
We are to be the mediator between them and God. We cannot provide them with salvation, and that's why I changed the title of this. We're not there to provide the atonement, but we can provide the intercession. We can come between them and God and pray that God does something differently. Time and time and time again throughout the early parts of the Old Testament, we see Moses falling on his face before God saying, God, don't do what you've got planned to do. How many times, and I don't know the number, how many times did Moses be, get told by God, I'm going to destroy all of them and start over with you? Moses realized God was very capable of doing that, but he also knew that that wasn't really what God wanted to do. And so he begins to intercede for the children of Israel. As we go down through this chapter and we begin, we see in verse number 5 that Moses just leaves all of this in God's hands. God, you work this out. And sometimes you and I, as we intercede, that's the only thing that we can do. I have an event, a situation in my family right now, my wife and I, that the only the way it's going to get fixed is for God to fix it. We can't do anything about it. We don't have an ability. We don't have the means. And God's got to be the only one to do it. And we've got to leave it in God's hands. Verse number 10, we see, we see a question that gets asked. Seek ye the priesthood also. Many times we, we don't understand what it is, what, what God is talking about when we read verses like this. But here's, here's what you need to know. Kohath the sons of Levi, we, we see this particular group of people have been charged with caring for the ark. This is uh, kind of in, in reference to this. They're caring for the ark, of the, tab or the ark of the tabernacle, the table of showbread, the candlestick, the altars, and the vessels and hangings of the holy place. They were given some of the greatest duties ever found in Scripture. They got to care for the most holy things that God had allowed to be built. That's not mentioned until much later in Scripture, but we get the idea of what God is going to do with them. And sometimes people just aren't satisfied with what God has them doing. You know, this is a question that I've been asking myself for some time now. <laughs> Am I, am I pushing God too hard? Am I not satisfied with where God's got me for now? And sometimes we can get like that. And these men, they push beyond where they should be. The accusation in verse number 13 against Moses, make, it, make thyself altogether a prince over us, that was never Moses' intent. That was never what Moses wanted. Moses, in my opinion, did not really want to be in charge. I don't know about you guys, but if... You sit down and you really talk to our pastor about what it's like, or talk to Brother Mark, what it's like to be in charge of a group of people. It's not all fun and games, I can promise you that. There's a lot involved in it. Moses probably did not want this. We get down to verse number 21 and 22, and we see both Moses and Aaron fall on their face. Why now both of them? This is a, a thought that was pretty prevalent last week. What we do influences others. Why is Aaron now all of a sudden interested in what's going on enough to intercede? Because he'd seen Moses do it. Moses has been doing this for years at this point. But all of a sudden, Aaron is really involved. And now we see Aaron and Moses fall on their face before God to intercede for the children of Israel.
your intercession will drive others to see you and hear you pray for your lost loved ones. It will drive others to do the same. There is nothing wrong with being that kind of influence in the life of another child of God. Some of the greatest lessons in life, the old adage is, more things are, ta are caught than taught. You see another child of God. I, I can remember there's a, there's a young man that my wife and I knew when we were young Christians. His name is Clint Brown, and he's not a famous name. He's just a guy we went to church with. He was a young man. At that point, I was 30-something, 30 33, 34. He was 20, 21-ish. But hearing this young man pray, man, he could get a hold of God. You hear him, you'd hear him on the altar, and you're like, man. I want to pray like that. And it's not a matter of make me, make me fancy or, or anything like that. I don't want to be famous for how I pray. It's just a simple matter of being able to talk to God the way that he did. As if, as if he knew that God was sitting right there. Man, that's, that is what we should each want. And to be influenced by somebody, some other Christian in your life, is not a bad thing. To be that influence in the life of a young Christian, we need that. We need to be that. I look around the room this morning, and I'll be quite honest with you, I see more white than I do black, and I'm not talking skin tone. We've got two issues in this room this morning. We've got white hair, and we've got no hair. Some of us kind of fall into both categories, you know, like myself. But we are, we are supposed to teach younger Christians. We are supposed to teach those that are less mature than we are. It's not about the, the number of rings on the tree, okay? It's about how mature they really are. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see, we see these men making intercession for men that are wicked, when we get down to verse number 24, we see mentioned Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And it's, it's not hard to miss the fact that there's a name missing there. Why is on not listed in verse number 24? It is my opinion, and there is nothing in Scripture to back this, but many of the commentators that I read seem to have the same idea. Somewhere along the way, what has been taking place to this point changed on's mind. He doesn't participate in what follows. He does not get destroyed by God, as we see a little further on. I think it's verse 30. We see a change in his life. Prayer does make a difference. Intercession does make a difference. If intercession did not matter, I would not bother to pray. If I didn't think that God was interested in the prayers that I pray for the people that I care about, I wouldn't bother. I'll be quite honest with you. Sometimes prayer is the hardest work that we do. Intercession in particular, when you begin to pray for somebody else, you almost have to put yourself in their place or in God's place, one or the other. And say, God, this is messed up and I know it. And Lord, you're the only one that can fix it. I recognize what you recognize. I'm not saying that you have the ability to fix it. 
but you have the ability to recognize the problems the same as God does. We should have enough discernment about us to realize that. Verse number 30, we see the death of Korah and all of the crew. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And not just Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, but their entire families. God wiped out a complete line of genealogy there. But it's not just them. The 250 men that decided to side with them, God took their life as well. In the course of this, as you read down through it, you get the idea that there are almost 15,000 people that died this day. By the time this chapter is done, we've got almost 15,000 Israelites dead. And the only thing that made, it, made a difference in this was the intercession of Moses and Aaron. In verse number 46, as we see Aaron instructed by Moses to take fire from the altar and to put incense thereon and to stand between the living and the dead. Do you realize this morning that that is exactly what we do? We are the living. If you are in Christ, you're more alive than you have ever been. The dead are those that do not know Jesus Christ is their Savior. Dead in trespasses and sins, Scripture tells us. We stand between the living and dead quite frequently. When we make intercession, we are doing exactly what Aaron was instructed to do. When we look down through Scripture and we go beyond this chapter, we see that intercession is very important in the mind of God for us as a child of God. In Job chapter 9, verse number 33, there's the reference for the daysman, if you want to look at that. And he says, Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that may lay his hand upon us both. We are acting as that daysman. We are standing between the living and the dead, asking God to make a difference in their lives. I've got family members that, that I don't know their spiritual condition. I've got family members that I know where they stand with God, and it's not in a good place. And it is my job as a child of God knowing what sits ahead for them. I heard a man one time, he, he was praying in a church service, and this was down in Florida, if I remember correctly. And he prayed that God would hang lost sinners out over hell to let them see what it's like. And I think he was wrong in praying for that. I think God should do that for us. Hang us out over hell. Let us see what hell is really like. It is not a place where a party is going to take place. It's not a place where they're going to go to be with their friends. We need to understand what is ahead in the lives of unsaved people. If we begin to get an idea of what that is, then we'll really begin to pray. Then we'll really begin to intercede. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22 through 25, we see verse 25 in particular saying, Wherefore he is able 
uh, able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. We know this is talking about Jesus Christ. He is the perfect intercessor. He is always there standing between a sinner and God saying, give him one more chance. Could you imagine this morning if God suddenly said no more chances? What would that mean for you and me as a Christian? What would it mean for the unsaved folks? We need to continually be praying, God, give them one more chance. We get aggravated at our families. My wife and I, we have been for the last 20 plus years trying to reach her family for Christ. Hasn't worked too well. And there are times, I'll be quite honest with you, that it, it seems like we just want to give up. Lord, it's not working. Why are we bothering? But we can't give up. We've got to come to the place where we say, Lord, give them one more chance. Because we never know. How many, how many chances did it take before God really got a hold of our heart? I think of all the messages that I sat under as an unsaved man. I had convinced myself that everything was okay between me and God, and I sat in church after service, after service, after service, after service. But it wasn't until that one night when God got a hold of my heart. I'd passed over all of those other opportunities. How many chances to be saved did I throw away? How many chances did I just say, nope, not this time? I don't know the answer. I'll be honest with you, I'd probably be very discouraged if I knew the number. But we've got to continue to pray, Lord, give them one more chance. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, we read, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see, you and I this morning, sometimes we don't even know how to pray. We don't know how to intercede for our lost loved ones. Thank God for the Holy Spirit and His intercession ministry. Because He goes to God and I almost picture Him this way. Lord, this is what He meant. Lord, I know a preacher was talking at the beginning of the service about how he messed up the announcements on Wednesday night. We were talking before service. If we had a dollar for every time we messed something up, we could retire. Probably by Guam or something, by the entire island. We mess up everything, especially when it comes to prayer. If I had a time, a, a, a number for every time I've stumbled through a prayer, <laughs> I can imagine the number it might be. But every single time the Holy Spirit goes to God and goes, This is what He meant. And He tells God what we meant, He knows what's in our heart. We need to continue to intercede. And when you feel like you've messed it up, just understand and know that the Holy Spirit is already correcting the problem. He knows more, more about it than you and I do. We are, to, we are to go to God on the behalf of others. There's a, a major event that takes place in the book of Jeremiah. 
And it's interesting because it is the only place in Scripture that I am aware of that God tells somebody not to pray. Don't pray for them. But I also read in the book of Jeremiah how he talks in the book of Lamentation, how Jeremiah talks about how that he wets his pillow at night and how he would that his, that his eyes were just as a fountain. He never stopped praying for the children of Israel. He never stopped praying for him, even though God told him not to. And I don't see God punishing him for it. That may sound kind of odd, but to me, I don't see God correcting Jeremiah for his prayers. He wanted the best for the children of Israel. Time and time again, he'd go to God about them. You and I, we've got to keep going to God. Because right now, the only hope that our lost loved ones have is us. They don't know Christ. They don't have that hope. But they have you. They, they know you. And I guarantee you, they are watching you. My, my wife's family has an odd habit. 90% of my wife's family makes no profession of faith at all. But every time we have a family get-together, Tom, would you pray for the meal? Every single time. Never anybody else, always me. Man, what an opportunity. Let them hear you pray. Pray for them. And let them know that you're praying for them. They need to. They need to understand how much you care. If I didn't think my wife cared enough for me to pray for me, I couldn't make it through tomorrow. Our loved ones pray for us, or should, those that know Christ, and our unsaved loved ones need to know that we're praying for them. My wife's sister that passed away a year ago, she asked us to call every Sunday night and pray with her. Man, what a joy. I honestly believe that she knew Christ as her Savior. But you know something? The others in the family knew that we were doing it. And that makes a difference. Intercession is a valuable tool in the life of a child of God. Because it is... Here's, here's a thought, and it, it, this isn't in my notes, but it's something that just came to my mind. Look at the book of Job. Job's life doesn't get straightened out until he does what? Until he prays for those miserable friends of his. It's not until you get to the last chapter of the book that you see Moses begin to pray for his, his lost loved ones, if you will. His so-called friends. And that's when God begins to really straighten things out. God wants us to pray for them. Three verses real quick, and we'll call this an end this morning. Colossians 1, verse number 9, the Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. When you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, keep doing it. Until there's a reason not to anymore, keep praying. I've got folks on my personal prayer list right now that I have no control over what's going on in their life, but I am praying for them. 
And until I hear these are all churches that need a pastor, and until I hear that that need has been met, I'm going to keep praying for them. Keep praying. Don't stop. 1 Samuel 22, or 12 and 23 says, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. God forbid that I should sin. You hear that? What's the Bible say? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. God forbid that I should sin in not praying for you. Acts chapter 12 and verse number 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And what did God do? God fixed it. Peter couldn't fix it. The church couldn't fix it. But God sure could and did. And did it in a way that nobody could ever say it was somebody else. The gates opened of their own accord. No, I'm sorry, that just doesn't happen naturally. I don't know about you, but unless you're going to Walmart, the doors just don't open by themselves. Keep praying. The altar of intercession is something that we need in our life. Keep going back to it. Thankfully, in Scripture, this is a one-time event. I'm thankful. Could you imagine if God wiped out 15,000 people every week in Scripture? They wouldn't have lasted very long. But you know something? I'm glad this was a one-time event, but the altar of intercession in our life should never be a one-time event. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this morning. I thank You for the Word of God. I thank You for the opportunity just to be here. And Lord, I ask You, Father, that You would teach us Your will. Help this church to grow. Help this church to really learn to intercede. Lord, I ask You, Father, that You would help our pastor this morning in the message. Give him the words that we need. Help him, Father, to preach with boldness and, and conviction. Lord, convict our hearts because of what is said. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor? As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and the piano begins to play, maybe God's spoken to your heart. An altar of intercession. We must intercede for the people that are lost. As was very clearly stated, if we do not do that, who else is going to? We have a great responsibility in praying for the lost and reaching the lost and being concerned for the lost. Not just the lost, maybe, maybe brothers and sisters who are not walking as they should. Ye who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of humility and meekness. Intercession, praying for others. We can be so concerned with self. We can get so wrapped up in self that we forget about others. We must keep our eyes on the Lord, but we must also realize, hey, there's people that need the Lord. There's people that need restored. We must pray for that. As the piano plays, the altar's open.